I mean, I dedicate this message to people that look in the mirror and you don't like what you see. People that look in the mirror and you don't, you feel insecure, you feel like you're not enough. All you see is what you're not. All you see is your mistakes. All you see is your past. And you hear a voice on the inside saying, you're nobody. You're, you're not enough. And, and I, I want to dedicate this message to you because in Jesus, we're more than enough. Um, the, as, as I was, um, I feel like this is such a missing um, a piece in, in our lives. And of all, of all these feelings that we've been talking about, this is the one that, that I feel like that I deal with personally the most. Uh, the feeling of, of inadequacy. And I'll talk more about that as we get into the message. But uh, the Lord brought this scripture to my mind as, we were, as I was driving to church this morning. And um, Jesus was asked, what are the greatest commandments? And he said, number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart. But then he said, there's a second commandment is that you need to love your neighbor. And then the thing the Lord reminded me is the last part of that. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I felt like the Lord said, see, that's our problem. We don't love ourselves. That we don't see the value that God has placed on the inside of us. Therefore, we, we can't really love God like we need to. And we surely can't love other people like we need to. Because all we see is, is what we're not. And whoever, whoever uh, coined the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. Like, that is so not true. Can I get a witness from somebody here today? Like, the, the, the things that have hurt me most in my life are words that other people have said over me. But if I could take it a step further, the thing that's even hurt me more than that are the words that I've said to myself. So what are you saying to yourself? I, I, I believe God wants to help us with what's happening on the inside of our minds, what we're, what we're dealing with when it comes to our identity and who we are. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. Let's turn there together or look in your message notes or on the screen. Uh, God's word says this. Be careful how you think. Think about what you're thinking about. What are you thinking about and it tells us why. It says, because your life is shaped by your thoughts. How are you thinking about yourself? How are you thinking about your identity? What did you think about yourself as you got ready for church today? Who, who are you on the inside? What, is, what, what, what do you deal with? Do you deal with these feelings of inadequacy, inadequacy? And here's a spoiler alert for the message. We all deal with this. Uh, we all just deal with it differently. Some people deal with inadequacy by, you know, like, like, like staying uh, away and, and shrinking, shrinking down. Other people deal with inadequacy by, man, looking, the, looking like they have it all together and standing with their chest out and, you know, and, 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 and appearing like everything is okay. But what I've found in my life is that the more people I get to know and the longer that I live, every single person on planet Earth deals with inadequacy. Every person deals with, am I enough? Um, do, do I have what it takes on the inside? And, and so why do we feel inadequate? If you're taking notes with us this morning, here's, here's the first reason. I believe because we let culture define who we are. We let our culture define who we are. A culture says if you're not good looking on the outside, then you're not, you're, you're not any value. You're not any value. You're not an amazing person if you don't, if you don't look good. And so we... So we uh, we work hard to, to, to look good and to, 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 to have some people spend exorbitant amount of money staying looking good and all those things. And, uh, we, there's even apps now to help you look good. Um, I, was, I was looking through Instagram the other day 
and uh, there's an old friend of ours, and, and we had seen this person not too long ago. They had, um, we had been with them, and they posted a picture online, and I went to my wife. I said, Kara, help me out. This, per- that's, this person does not look like this at all. Like, there is, she is, something is up. It's a little different than what I remember, because they were not too long ago. And I said, what's happened? She said, it's an app. And, uh, and, and they can, and that's, you know, it's all, you know, you can, you can manipulate um, what you look like and, and all of these things uh, because that's what culture, culture uh, says makes you valuable. How many, how many likes you get um, on, on a picture? I heard, a, I heard a story about a lady who's at church and she got a prophecy that she was going to live 40 more years. And she thought, man, if I'm going to live 40 more years, it's going to be looking good for 40 more years. So she went out and spent a bunch of money to make herself look good and all the things that she did. And the next day, she died. She gets to heaven and says, what's up, God? Like, I thought, 40 more years. And he said, oh, I didn't recognize you. Sorry about that. <laughs> Sorry, that has nothing to do with anything with the message. But... You know, especially our students, young adults, your value is not defined by how many pe- people like a picture that you post online. Your value is not defined by what anyone else says about you, but your value is defined by your God and your King, and He loves you, and there's nothing you could do to ever change that. Don't let our culture and the lies of our culture uh, uh, infect you and think that you have to measure up to some kind of standard. Here's the standard. Your God loves you and cares for you, and your identity is found in Him. Uh, Things like today in the news, um, I mean, things like this week, this past week in the news with Kate Spade, just a tragedy. I don't know if you saw that. Um, it, somebody who you would, for all intents and purposes, like if we were just to look from the, from the outside in, we would idolize someone that had been at the top of her career. I believe her company was just sold for literally billions of dollars. And, 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 and um, in the middle of all that, this just tragedy that, that took place and it just, it just reminds me that church, we can't let culture define who we are. There, there, there's, no, there's no amount of, of anything culture would, 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 would kind of brag on us about or make us look good or enough possessions or enough things to ever fill the God-shaped hole in every single one of us. That, that, that don't try to define your life by our culture, but allow God to define our lives. Here's the second thing. I think uh, we let our past define who we are. We let our past define who we are. Um, And this probably hits closer to home because it's easy to live life looking in the rearview mirror. There's a reason that in your car, the dashboard is much larger than the rearview mirror. The rearview mirror is very important to glance at, but if you live in it, you'll have a wreck. And I found this out with my first car leaving high school and my first wreck two weeks in from having my driver's license. I was trying to go forward, but I was looking at my friends in the rearview mirror and bam, and $600 later, praise God, uh, it was a bad day. But I learned an important lesson that day is that I can't, if I live my life looking in the rearview mirror and at the same time worrying about what everybody else thinks about me, I'm always going to have a wreck in my future. I, I want to encourage someone this morning to let you know that the, the future that God has for you is greater than anything you've ever experienced in your past. That God put the look to the future with God because your best days are ahead of you. Some people think, well, the glory days are behind me. The glory days are gone somewhere. But the scripture says that with God, our relationship is from faith to faith 
and from glory to glory. In other words, if you're with Jesus, the glory days are always ahead of you. If you're with Jesus, the best is not behind you. The best is in front of you. And you can look to it with hope and expectancy and trusting that God's going to do something great in your life. And do you know what's even greater than that? At the end of this life, when this life is over, the true glory days are going to be on streets of gold with Jesus Christ in a day that never ends. In other words, we can look forward to the future. We don't have to let our past define who we are. Maybe you've had tragic experiences in your past. Maybe people have abused you. Maybe people have said negative words over your life. Maybe it was a teacher or a boss or a friend or a parent. And those negative words echo in your ears. I want to encourage you. God has an identity that's greater than what any other person could ever have for you. And many times we think, well, that's great because you know, I can get the point that if I, someone else were to hurt me, God can help me with that. But what about this? I've hurt myself. I've messed up my own life. I feel like I've wasted the last 10 years of my life. That really, I feel like I'm already behind. Can God even, can God use me? Is, is there a way to ever make it back? God specializes in taking the, the parts of the story that we that we that we mess up, and He can weave that story for His greatest picture of His grace in our lives if we'll just allow Him to. Your past does not have to define your future. No matter what you've done, no matter your reputation, God, thank the Lord that whenever everybody else saw a prostitute named Rahab, God didn't see that. He saw the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ. That, that our past doesn't define our future. That God specializes in using broken people just like you and me. Here's what Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says. It says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. I always thought this scripture just meant don't get the big head about who you are. But whenever I was studying it this week, I I was looking in the the Greek of the word highly. Don't think of yourself more highly. It's the word hooperphoneo. And I put this in your notes. It's simply this. It just means an improper view. Don't, Don't think of yourself with an improper view, whether that's too high or whether that's too low. Don't think of yourself from the perspective of, of an improper view, whether you're somebody who thinks so highly. I dare say, I think most of us, it's not that we're struggling with thinking of ourselves too high. It's that we're thinking of ourselves too low. We have, an, we have an improper view of the calling that God has on our life. But he goes on to say, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God's given to you. He says, think of yourself... Soberly, Think of yourself. Don't be intoxicated by some other voice or some other thing, but think of yourself from the perspective that God thinks about you. The word sober there is this nearly the same word that's, that's, that, that is the word highly. It's just the word sophroneo, and it simply means this, in the right view, or I like to put it in your notes, a God view. Think of yourself in a God view. If you could look from God's perspective of your life, what would it be like? God, and the scripture says, look at your life from the God view. Um, this, this, this word sober, I found it interesting. In, in Mark chapter 5, there's this famous story about Jesus healing this guy who was living in a graveyard, and he was possessed by all these demons and devils. And um, when God set him free, it says that he was sitting there sober and in his right mind. And it's the same word, to be thinking of yourself soberly, and for this guy who was delivered and then thought of himself soberly. And, and essentially to say this, that sometimes we need to be delivered from wrong thinking 
about ourselves. That God has called you and I to be a deliverer. Do you know that? That God put you on this planet to make a difference. You're not here just biding time. But God put you on this planet to be a deliverer. But what I've found is that before he can use you to be a deliverer, many times he needs to deliver you from the enemy that's in a me. He needs to deliver us from the enemy that's in our own head where we feel like we're not enough to do what God's called us to do. I paraphrase this scripture in, 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 in like this. is simply this. Don't have an improper view of yourself, but rather be set free from the wrong view and let God give you, a right, give, give you a right thinking by being assured of who He is and what He thinks about you. If you're taking notes, here's the bottom line of today's message, that you'll never be right until you can see right. Never be right until you can see right. See what right? See God right and see ourselves right. And so I want to take us to someone in the scripture that dealt with insecurity. I found it so encouraging that God never, I haven't found it yet other than Jesus Christ in the scripture where there's a perfect person that God never used. I, I, I see imperfect people with insecurities and questions and doubts and fears just like the things that I see in the mirror. And, and one of the people that my mind goes immediately to when I think of insecurity is a guy named Gideon. He was called to be a judge of Israel. And there's a whole book in the Old Testament called Judges. And it's easy to kind of get the wrong idea about what this book is about because when we think of judge, we think of someone who's down at the city county building downtown. But that's not what God raised up um, in, in the book of Judges. The, a judge of Israel was essentially a leader that God would raise up whenever Israel would get in trouble and they would pray for deliverance. So God would, they didn't have a king at this time, so God would raise up these different judges. If you've never read the book of Judges, it is, it's like reading an action movie. It, it, it's, it's all kinds of stories of conquest and people that God would raise up. And one of these guys was named Gideon. And the Midianites were, were, were just wreaking havoc over Israel. And God wanted to raise up this deliverer named Gideon. But Gideon couldn't be a deliverer because he needed to be delivered from the wrong thinking that he had about his own life. And here's where we find his story. Judges chapter 6 and verse 11. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Ophrah. She was doing well, I guess, even back then. She had this land, I don't know, that belonged to Joash, the Abazer, something right, the Abazerite, the, the right, there we go, uh, he was, it was right, there we go, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Uh, the important part to kind of bring out of this, this passage is the, where he was uh, threshing wheat at. Maybe you're a wheat threshing expert. Maybe you're here today, but I had to kind of look up what the deal was with that. But what would happen when you would thresh wheat, you would do it on a hill because when you throw wheat up with the pitchfork, the wheat is heavy and would fall to the ground and the chaff would go away. So whenever you would thresh wheat, you do it where there's wind. But because of his fear, because he was afraid of the enemy seeing what he was doing, he was, the enemy would always steal things away. So he, instead of being bold about it, he was threshing wheat in a wine press or in other words in a valley or in the pit he he was in the pits everybody <laughs> you ever been in the pits before 
When, when you get in the pits, when you get a pit perspective, you, you, you don't have much wind in your life. When you get in the pits of life, you don't have much wind in your sails, and, and you surely don't have a good perspective about your life. And uh, in this place in the pit, we start understanding that God has a different perspective about Gideon than what he has. He's afraid, he's fearful, and God comes to him and says this, The Lord is with you, watch this, mighty warrior. To which we say, he wasn't mighty warrior at all. He was more of like a he was he was like a pitiful wimp. He was in the pit. He was a pitiful wimp. But from God's perspective, he was a mighty warrior. From God's perspective, he wasn't what he was doing right then. From God's perspective, he was a judge of Israel. He was a deliverer that was going to make a huge difference. See, God sees from a different perspective than what you and I see. Uh, one of my favorite things um, to favorite places to go in the Smokies um, is a place called Look Rock. It's just on the other side of Maryville. I don't know if you've been there before. I like it because you can drive there and it not, not, doesn't take too long to get there. And I had the opportunity to go uh, this week and you, you can hike up. It's like a mile up to a little observation tower. And, and from there you can, you can um, look and you can see Knoxville and then you can, you can look and see into the Smokies. It's like the first ridge of the mountain. So beautiful. While I was up there, I took this picture um, this week of Knoxville. And they'll turn down the lights so you can see. Isn't that a beautiful picture of our city? <laughs> like, I don't see it. I didn't see it either whenever I was up there. But because there's a plaque up there that shows you where Knoxville is, Knoxville's right over here. And uh, Maryville's right over here. And the thing that was amazing to, to me about it is that how small the city was. That you could barely see any, any signs of life. It's about 25 miles from here and, and you're just so high and you're looking down and, and I, I just felt like through that God used that to say Brandon all of the things that are so big to you from my perspective they're not very big like in the valley literally you can see it we, we, we live in a valley in the valley it's easy to get a valley perspective and all you see is the struggle that you're in right now all you see is the financial struggle that you are right now. All you see is you're not achieving what you thought you would achieve. All you see is a valley perspective. But God reminded me, Brandon, I don't see the troubles that you see. I see it from a higher perspective. And the things that are troubles to you, I don't see it that way. I see it greater than what you see. And, and, and just know this. We, and so after that, I drove home, and, and, and I'm here today in the valley. But I, I, just, I, I just want you to know that while we're right here at 201 Center Park Drive in this nicely cooled room this morning by faith nicely cooled uh, when we're in this room that needs some cooling help in Jesus name while we're in this place I want you to know that we serve a God that's still on top of look rock even right now that he's omnipresent which means he's everywhere so he sits the scripture says on the circle of the earth in other words he's with us in the valley but he also sees our life from a larger perspective and I just want to take the pressure off of you today I don't know what you're struggling with I don't know what questions you need to have answered I just want you to take the pressure off and to let you know God's on the throne and he sees it from a different perspective so Gideon you don't have to be afraid you don't have to be afraid of your enemy because God's going to do a work in your life like you've never seen before You're a mighty man of valor, Gideon. I know you don't see it, but if you could see your life from my perspective, you'd be changed. Gideon says this in the next verse, But sir, 
At least he was respectful. That was a good thing. Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, watch, he does what we all do. He starts blaming. See, many times whenever God calls us to something great, instead of actually dealing with our inadequacies, we blame other people. Or we do what Gideon does and we blame God. And he says this, if the Lord was really with us, why has this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? When they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord's abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. He, he just starts blaming. He, he starts naming, he starts blaming, he starts blaming God. And the thing that's interesting to me about this passage is God doesn't even deal. It's like God ignores what Gideon's saying. God doesn't deal with him and all the blame. And watch what God just goes on and says, go in the strength you have. And save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Many times our journey in spiritual life stops here. At the blame stage. But Gideon does something different. That I believe is the reason why God used him in such a great way. He got real. He got honest. You see, if we live our lives blaming God. Blaming our parents. Blaming how bad our life's been And you know Lord I got all the fat genes And I've got the husky pants And everybody else got all the good genes And I grew up on the wrong side of town And, and, and you know my education Isn't as good and they got all the good looks And I got all the bad looks And, 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 they, and, we, 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 and I grew up In the wrong family and I come from a, You know from this place And all of the different things that we name And that we blame We, we will never mature in our walk with God I was reading a book this week that was talking to, about someone that was admitting that they've never really been real with God in their journey. And they said, um, I, I, instead of, I've been serving God 22 years, but instead of being a 22-year-old Christian, I'm a one, I've been a one-year-old Christian 22 times. And I felt like that spoke to me because I think there are pits that I get in where I blame and I shift the blame on everybody else and even God and all these things and God's sitting there saying will you just get honest and will you just get real about what you're dealing with on the inside will you quit trying to blame it on everybody else I know your life's been hard I know there's been situations I know they said that about you but what I want to do in your life Gideon is greater and if you'll stop blaming everybody else I can do something great in your life I want to share something that really helped me a couple years ago whenever I was in the pits I feel like the Lord told me that everybody comes from somewhere. No, that sounds really simple, but it really helped me. Because many times we look at our life and our past and we think I'm the only one. And we feel like it's an opportunity to, 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 to blame everybody else. And I just, I feel like the Lord said that nothing can stop you from doing the purpose that I have in your life. So understand, everybody comes from somewhere. Your past is not some special thing that you're the only one that deals with. But all of us, God uses imperfect people with a past that he wants to do great things through our lives. So Gideon, I want to do something great in your life. And watch when Gideon gets real. Here's what he says. But Lord, how can I save Israel? Oh, we're getting real now. My clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. And when I re read that, I thought, man, that's exactly how I felt for most of my life. I have parents that loved me and showered me with love from the time I was born, but I can honestly say, 
I can't remember a, a time in my life growing up in school where I did not struggle incredibly with feelings of inadequacy and insecurity. People ask me from time to time, do you get nervous before you preach? And I say, absolutely every single time. <laughs> Been doing this multiple times a week for over 15 years now. And I still, every single time, I, I feel, I hear the voices in my head about how I'm not enough. I don't have it all together. I can't do it. I, I'm not wise enough. What do you, you know, I'm driving to church this morning. What do you have to say to people? I know last night, I know Saturday night was good service, but today it's not going to be good. To, you know, today it's not going to be a good message. It's not going to, you know, and all of these voices that you hear in your head. And what, what, what the revelation was for me not too long ago is that the voices are true. That the voices that I'm not enough and I can't and I, and I can't do it and I don't have all the wisdom and all the ability, all of those voices from the enemy are absolutely true. I don't have what it takes to do what God's called me to do. But here's where the confidence to overcome the insecurity comes from. That my confidence and security never is supposed to come from my own ability. But simply to understand that nothing qualifies me except the fact that God chose me. And whenever I step into the reality of the calling of God, I can step in with confidence knowing it's not about Brandon anymore, but it's about the God that called me to step into this role and do what God's called me to do. So I say, you're right. I'm not able, but my God sure is able, and He's on my side, and He's called me, and I'm going to step out with confidence and do what God's called me to do. So before I preach doing this for years somebody shared this with me years ago and I've adopted it into my routine and before I preach I always you ever see me I always take a step forward and what I'm doing mentally is I'm saying okay God I'm stepping out of Brandon and I'm stepping into the calling that you've called me to do and, and, and I'm, I'm going to step into the calling. I'm going to preach your word. And I believe you're going to do infinitely more than ever I could imagine because of the calling of God that's on my life. I want to encourage you to step out of yourself, Gideon, and step into the calling that I have in your life. Did God call you to start that business? Well, you don't have to do it in your own power. You don't have to have all the answers. But tomorrow morning, before you step into that place, I want you to step out of your car. And then by faith, I just want you to take a step on the inside and say, God, I'm stepping into this place because... Because you've called me. Your grace is on my life. And I do feel insecure. I don't have all the answers. But God, I'm stepping out of me. And I'm stepping into you. Whenever you worry, how am I going to be able to raise these kids? I don't know the answers. i got teenagers that are making decisions. I don't know. I don't, I don't have the answers. I don't know what to do. Understand this. God has a calling on your life to raise those kids. And you're raising spiritual giants in the Lord. They're going to go and make a difference. They have a nation that they're going to deliver. But before they can be a deliverer, God has to deliver you from yourself. So next time you don't know what to do, just take a step and say, God, I'm stepping out of me. And I'm stepping into the calling that you've given me to raise these kids. God, you're going to use me and you're going to gift me to do something great in their lives. Step into your workplace. Step into your families. Step into your world in the calling that God has on your life. He goes on to say this, I will be with you. This is a detail of the story I haven't noticed before. He says, and you will strike them down together. In other words, God says, I'm going to give you a team to help make this happen. And I think that's some of our uh, problems. I know it's been mine along the way. Because it's easy to keep our struggles so far below the surface that we never let anybody else know what we're going through. 
And because of that, we can never truly step into our true identity when we don't have a team around us that can help us, that can walk with us. That, that, that we can have people that would speak life into our life and help us walk through what we're walking through. Maybe you're dealing with something here today. I, I just want to encourage you, don't go through it together. Please do not leave this parking lot today without connecting with somebody. Today's a great day to do this. We try to, this, is a, this, is a, you, this is easy as signing up for a small group today. But it's not even about just signing your name. It's about connecting. It's about connecting with somebody. Because you don't have to walk alone. Church, I want you to know you don't have to walk through what you're walking through alone. Gideon, you don't have to stay in your place of a pit perspective alone. God wants to bring a team around you, and you should read the rest of this story this week from, from the book of Judges. Just, just read it this week and look at this motley crew that God put together, 300 men that literally shook a nation and defeated an army. In other words, if you get the right people around you, it doesn't matter how many people you have, you can defeat the enemy. God has a team for your life. And then in verse 24 kind of wraps up Gideon's story and encounter with God. It says, So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there, and watch what he called it. He called it, The Lord is peace. The word for peace there is the word shalom. It means the absence of conflict, but there's also this connotation of the word shalom with just a breath, an exhale. Can we do that? Like, I can rest now. And I think in our walk with God, it's easy to get so busy trying to become something that we don't hear the voice of what we already are. And therefore, we never have peace with God. And God wants to give you peace right where you are. And the peace comes, I believe, from knowing who you are in Christ. From knowing who God's made you to be. And that's my prayer for you, that you would get peace. It's like Gideon said, okay, after all this is done, man, I finally, I got some peace. And the thing that's interesting to me is that the Midianites had not yet been destroyed. There were still things going on in his life. But what was he saying? He said, the war may be on the outside, but the war is no longer on the inside. And I want to encourage somebody today. You may walk out of this place, and yes, you still have a war to fight tomorrow morning with work or a war in your family or a war right now that's happening in your, in your marriage or in your world around you. But my prayer is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, the war on the inside of you would be, would be defeated. The enemy would be defeated. And you'd be able to see who you are in Christ today. So how are we going to do this? If you're taking notes with me, join me. Now, here's the first thing we need to see correctly. We need to see God correctly. We need to see God correctly. What I've learned is that your relationship with God can never be better than your view of God. Your relationship with God can never be better than your view of God. So if you feel like God is distant, if you feel like God is angry, if you feel um, like God is, is, is just looking for you to make a mistake and to mess up, then, then you're going to approach God in a certain way. I think so many times, especially those of us that grew up in a religious context, it's so easy to see God from a certain perspective. As if God's greatest, many times if you grew up in a religious context, it's as if God's greatest joy in life is to find you messing up. Like he's a cosmic cop around the corner just waiting for you to mess up so he can get you. I have a conviction. I believe that if you could truly see who God is, you would never run from him ever again. 
If you could truly get a perspective of who God is, you would run to Him every single time whenever you actually saw who He is and, and, and what He wants to be and what He wants to do in your life. You see, religions lied to us. Religion has lied to us about who God is. I, if I could just encourage you with this, God's not mad at you, but rather God's mad about you. God is so in love with you, and if you had a right perspective, that's my prayer today, get a right perspective about who He is, that there's nothing that you could do to try to get God to, 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 to try to measure up to God, because everything has been satisfied at the cross of Jesus Christ, like it's been done, and all we do is receive it by faith, that we have to get a right view of our Heavenly Father have to get a right view of God. Psalm chapter 59 verse 10 says, my God is changeless in his love for me. Changeless. That, that, that God's love for you is so, so constant that there's, there's nothing you could ever do. I feel like I, I grew up not having, peace with, not having peace with God. I grew up knew, knowing a lot of scripture. I grew up knowing a lot of songs. But I never felt like I had peace with God. I was terrified. I was, I was grew up always hearing about something called the rapture. Has anybody ever heard of something like that before, the, of the rapture? And it's, a, it's a, this doctrine that's described in the scripture where there's this catching away of the church. And, and as, a, as a kid, um, I was terrified uh, of the rapture. And anytime I would go to sleep and wake up and nobody would be in my house, I was terrified that I missed the rapture. So what I, what, what I would do, I lived, we lived across the road from my grandmother, so I would call my grandma and make sure that Mamma did not go in the rapture. And if she answered the phone, I was like, praise God, everything's all right, because everybody knows grandma's going to make it. And uh, so I, I remember distinctly one day, nobody, nobody called. I mean, I called, nobody answered, and I just book it out my front door, you know, running over to Mamma's house to make sure I didn't miss the rapture. And I, what I realized is I had such a performance mentality in, in my walk with God that, that I was never at a place where I just had peace with God. And I read Romans chapter 5, and it said that now through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. And, and uh, what, what, the thing that really shifted in my life is when I became a dad. And I looked at my little boy, and I realized there's nothing that he could ever do to change his love for me. Nothing. Like on his worst day, I still love him. Is, I mean, he was just, he was doing nothing. He was, he, he was costing us a lot of money. <laughs> he was smelly. We had to change diapers. He'd throw up on us. <laughs> but I loved him. <laughs> All the parents, you know the crazy feeling, right? Does he make mistakes? Do I have to get on to him? Does he upset me? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. But you know, on his worst day, it can never change the love that I have for him. As a matter of fact, whenever he's making mistakes, I think I love him a little bit more sometimes. Because I know in those moments he needs a father and God made me his father so that's my role to step up and let him know this is not who you are this may be what you're doing but this is not who you are God has a calling in his hand on your life and I want to encourage somebody you're walking through some seasons you made some mistakes I want you to know God's not mad at you he's mad about you and in these moments his heart's going toward you in this service to say June the 10th right here in Knoxville Tennessee you need a father you need somebody to, to lift you up. And God's in this place and He wants to stop the war that's on the inside of you and He wants you to have peace with Him, to know who He truly is. Here's the second thing we need to do. We need to see, we need to see myself the way that God sees me. 
I need to see myself the way that God sees me. Whenever uh, we got married, whenever Karen and I got married, um, we were given a gift at one of our wedding showers that was this picture frame. It said, best day ever. And it had this picture of a couple, you know, getting married on it. And uh, we were supposed to obviously put our picture in there, (laughs) but we never did. And we set it up on our mantle and it became a joke because people would come over and say, who's the couple? Who's your friends? And I was like, I don't know. Uh, that's just the picture that, you know, the frame that gave me the picture. So people, you know, we, we made names up for them and all this kind of stuff. And it was a lot of fun. But what, 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 what I felt like the Lord uh, showed me through that is that every picture frame comes with a picture already in it. And every life comes with a picture that's been in your frame. Maybe it was where you were raised. Maybe it was how you, who your parents were. Maybe it was uh, how respected they were in the community. Maybe it's your last name. Maybe it's how much uh, money you had, the house that you lived in, the color of your skin. All of the different ways that we get a picture in the frame of who we are. And here's the deal. Many times we think that picture that we were just handed to us, the frame that was handed to us, we think that picture is supposed to be our identity and supposed to be who we are. But I just want you to know, no, that's just the picture that came in the frame. Because your true identity comes from your father. Your true identity comes from God and God alone. So my challenge is to replace the picture, the negative picture that's in your frame, and replace it with what God says about you and put his picture in your frame. The scripture says this in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17 about heaven. It says that God will give to each person a white stone. And on that white stone, watch this, there will be engraved a new name in other words our true identity is going to be in heaven our true identity is held in nail scarred hands our true identity comes from Jesus Christ so thank God the picture in the frame is not our true identity thank the Lord as I said earlier whenever everyone else in the Old Testament saw a prostitute named Rahab God looked at the white stone and says, I don't see prostitute. I see a woman that's going to be used to be the future great, 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 great grandmother of the Messiah. And he put that name on her. Thank the Lord that when everybody else saw a, a shepherd boy that was forgotten, God looked at the stone and said, no, that's not what his name is. His name, he, he's going to be a king. And he took what the, what the real identity was and he put it on the head of this boy named David and he used him. When everybody else saw a failure and an adulterer and somebody defined by their past, God says, oh no, that's not who he is. I see here on his stone, it says he's a man after the heart of God. Church, let's let God define our identity. Let's let God define who we are. Here's the third thing. Get around people who see me the way that God sees me. Musicians, you could come. Get around people that see me the way that God sees me. You know, we, I think sometimes our struggle is that we come to church and we're encouraged on days like today. We hear the word and we get a little bit of a taste of our identity. Then we go home, we're surrounded by all kinds of friends and connections that are, they're just speaking the picture that's in the frame. 
And I believe Gideon's story shows us that if we're going to fulfill the calling that God has on our life, we've got to do it together. Like, we've got to have people in our lives that can speak life over us. Like, your voice is incredibly powerful in the life of somebody, even in this room. And that this church is going to be incomplete unless you rise up, get beyond your insecurity, and speak life into someone else's identity in Christ. Um, this past week, uh, there was a funeral of a, a great preacher. Um, I had the opportunity uh, my, my, uh, my whole life, I got to see uh, him preach at different events that I was part of as a kid. His name was T.F. Tenney. He literally preached to millions of people all over the world um, on TV and on just, in per- I mean, just an incredible man of God, integrity, just a lifetime of ministry. And uh, just somebody I had d- deep, deep respect for my whole life. And so his funeral was this week, and uh, whenever I got home, I wanted to make sure I, I caught the funeral and watched it. And I had my six-year-old son sit by me. I said, son, I, you know, would you, would you come sit and watch this with me? I said, I'm going to put this funeral on, on our television, and I want you to watch this. I said, this is a funeral of a great man. I said, he'd really, really impacted my life. And um, I said, son, he was a great preacher. And he said, dad... Was he greater than you? I said, oh yeah, oh yeah, great preacher. So he's a great preacher, one of the greatest I've known. And he said, Dad, I didn't know there's a greater preacher than you. And uh, in that moment, it's like the Lord just gave me this window into that little six-year-old soul and just showed me the value of my voice in his identity that to him I was T.F. Tinney to him I was a great preacher and my so important I thought God don't let me get so tied up in my insecurity that I don't step beyond my insecurity and speak life into that little boy because God's going to use him to be a deliverer but before he does that he's got to deliver me And church, I just want to tell you, there's somebody in your world, and if I could take it further, there's somebody in this church that they need you to overcome your insecurity, Gideon, so you can speak into the identity that they have in their life. Think about these small group leaders. There's uh, Sean Kramer. He leads our setup team. and um, We were part of a small group about a year ago together, a men's group, and he told me as part of that, he said, I was older whenever I gave my life to Christ and, and someone mentored me. It was like a one-on-one. I was able to ask a lot of questions about the Bible and faith and that mentorship really helped me. And he says, I don't know how to do that though. I've, I would really like to start something like that, but I don't know how. So I said, okay, let's figure it out. and Let's find some curriculum. Let's find some books and let's find... And, fr- and from that came our Fresh Start books that we give out every single week and but the cool thing about today is Sean's launching two groups that are called Fresh Start Groups, and they're just mentorship groups for people that are new believers that have questions about the Bible and all these things. It touches my heart because I've, I know Sean, and, and I know he's just like all of us. He deals with insecurity, and he has problems, and he has just like we all do. But it's like, thank the Lord that Sean doesn't let any insecurity stop him from stepping out and speaking life into somebody else that needs God. 
And there may even be somebody in this place that joins that group and Sean's the one that speaks life over you and you go on to deliver a nation for the kingdom of God. Who knows? I think about this mission team up here, insecure, going out of the country, spending money, raising money, all these things they've done. What's going to happen? Thank the Lord that they're not letting their insecurity keep them from stepping out into the destiny that God has for their life. Church, let's not let insecurity rule our lives anymore, but let's step out in faith and say, God, I'm scared to death. Gideon, scared to death. I got some peace. Not in the situation, but I got some peace on the inside of that God has his hand on my life. I don't got to compete with anybody else. I'm secure in God. I don't have to compete with anybody else. God has a calling just for me. So that's why we pray for other churches every week. Why? Because we, 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 we want to see other churches grow. We want this city to be built up in the name of Jesus. Why? Because God has a calling just for us, and we don't have to compete with anybody else. We can love and be a blessing and be secure in what God's called us to be. So what, what's God called you to step out into? And for those of you that are OCD and want to know what the last blank is in your... Oh, some people, you will not survive today if you don't have that blank filled in, which is fine. Next week's going to be about OCD feeling. No, it's not. But here's, here it is. Right relationships... Help us define who we are and what we become. Get in a right relationship. I can't tell you the life that comes from me. Relationships, connection, people. We need each other. I need each other. I, I, I need you. We need each other. I value that. Let's pray all over the house. Lord, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for meeting us in this place. Lord, I pray for people that are struggling with their identity today. Identity. Lord, help them to see the culture doesn't have to define who they are, the past doesn't have to define who they are, but that you have a great calling on their life. And this church needs them. This city needs them. This world needs them. Step out of that place of insecurity. Step into their destiny. In Jesus' name. If you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus, God's doing a work in your life and today it's a fresh start for you I would love to lead you in a prayer of just surrender to God this prayer isn't magic but my goal today is to put your hand in the hand of Jesus and let him walk with you this will change you forever just say Jesus I come to you you're the only one that can save me so right now would you save me I give my life to you. I give my yesterdays to you. I give my future to you. Forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I want to follow you from this moment forward. I give my life to you now 